Jesus made a practice of exaggerating in order to make his point appropriately. Uh, You know the list of at least some of these. uh, When you see a speck in your brother's eye, first remove the log from your own eye, and then you will see better to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out and throw it away. Or if your right hand, I'm not sure what's wrong with the right side of the body here. Um, If your right hand offends you, cut it off and throw it away. These are very severe uh, thoughts that Jesus puts out there. He uses hyperbole in order to communicate uh, very strong messages. He exaggerates. And perhaps it was such that here on the eve of his betrayal and his arrest, that the disciples were taking what he said with a grain of salt. They had heard it so many times before, this exaggerated language. And here Jesus is saying to them, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And yet they did not know what would transpire within the next day, day and a half. And so they did not have the context. They were a pre-crucifixion people. They would have simply say, said to his comment, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. They would have said, this is an illustration, right? They would have thought to themselves that this is one of those exaggerated points where Jesus was trying to make a point with them hearing what he was trying to say. Uh, They had no idea that Jesus was actually headed in this direction himself. It's interesting to me that they and we act like pre-crucifixion people because they would not have known, but we, knowing, still choose to live in that pre-crucifixion scenario that would suggest that still you need to be balanced about friendship. Because literally, if you take the scripture seriously, if you take it literally, there is no balance with friends as far as Jesus is concerned. True friends will do anything, anything for each other. The popular idea of friendship is that it is an exclusive commitment with some allegiance involved. I know that we tried to figure this out with our daughters earlier on. Do any of you know what the initials BFF stand for? (laughs) Best friends forever. And this was critical information for our daughters when they were young because they would tag along to adopt somebody who would be their 
best friend. Well, now this was laden with all kinds of baggage because just as soon as you attach yourself to someone who has the label of being your best friend, you are going to be in some way disappointed that they are not as best a friend as you thought that they were going to be. Um, It was interesting. I saw these dynamics being played out even as recently as Vacation Bible School here at Pippin Park. The playground dynamics of these that came wanting to find friends, and just as soon as they found friends, they would pair up or triple up so that they were close to each other and sitting almost on top of each other in order that they formed their little groups. Uh, At least uh, one child came and she came with a friend, but that friend decided that she wanted to be with another friend. It became an issue. (laughs) But I thought to myself, I've seen this. In my own family, I've seen this kind of thing going on because kids will do this. They're trying to figure it out. Uh, Sue and I began saying early on that you don't have to have just one best friend. You can have many, 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 many best friends. That kind of works, and it kind of doesn't. (laughs) But you see that it is a casual concept of friendship that grips us, parents, seize upon the opportunity to preach balance as the best way in which to be a friend to someone else and to have a friend be a friend to you. They will say, the company you choose can steer you the wrong way. Be careful in the decisions that you make. Now, that's a highfalutin way of saying What your parents actually said to you was, if somebody else goes and jumps in a lake, are you going to do that too? (laughs) So choose your friends carefully. Just because someone else does something does not mean that you should do it as well. But the concern is that we would be steered in the wrong way. And so parents will say there is something very, very important about balance with friends. And so from that perspective, maybe it makes some sense. But that's not scripture, you know? That's not scripture. And what Jesus said is hard to comprehend because he says here, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. On social media, and I don't mean to blast social media, uh, but the terminology is so interesting because um, they've even invented a word for it, um, friending someone else. Have you been friended? Um, How many friends do you have? Um, I don't want to send you to actually counting. You can look up in the corner and see how many friends you have. So, So... just check it out, though, I mean, because people do this. I think they, they think to themselves in some way that uh, it's, a, it's a mark of success to have so many friends on social media and that in the midst of that, somehow we are affirmed, you know, somebody 
likes us, somebody receives a like from us, which is another strange terminology about friendship. Um, But it's not as if we invented this in our generation. I mean, it comes before us. Um, Some of you will remember the name Dale Carnegie and how he wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and developed an entire culture and, in, in fact, industry around this. And it really is an interesting title for a book. You can sort of see how it would sell millions of copies. Um, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Sounds like a very plausible kind of thing that anybody should be interested in, right? And the book is filled with good suggestions about building relationships but the, the whole point of the book really comes down to the profitability of that statement that is inherent in its title. And that is how to win friends and influence people. You see here, it's not about the friends. It's about you. It is about what we get out of the relationship, which is nothing new. It's nothing new. You and I did not invent this, but we continue to perfect it. What Jesus says is nonsensical. Jesus is referring to a specific kind of love that before him had no true definition because no one had done it like he was about to do it. Jesus did not want a master-servant relationship. He could have had that with us. And in fact, we continue to persist on occasion in calling him master and Lord. But these are titles that I think if Jesus were here among us, might displease him in some ways because he wants a closer relationship than that. You are my friends If you do what I command you, this is a conditional clause that is here. If you do what I command you, and John makes it very clear what Jesus commands in the 13th chapter. He says, repeating Jesus here, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. This is that new commandment that Jesus is bringing up. And here in the beginning of the passage that was read for us in regard to this day, He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. A very simple statement on the one hand, but very complicated in some ways on the other, simply because we don't want to understand fully what that could mean. He has chosen us. He has loved us. This is at the very heart of who Jesus is. And in fact, he has given his life for us. Are you living deep within that thought that Jesus loves us with all of his life that he gave for us. His life is an expression of that love. 
Some of you may be saying to yourself about now that you're not worthy of that kind of love. (laughs) Glory be. (laughs) There is not a soul in this place or on this planet that is worthy of this kind of love. We heard at the beginning of this service, Tina played that favorite Charles Wesley song of mine. And that chorus is amazing love. How can it be that thou my God should die for me? This is an amazing thing that goes beyond anything that we could ever understand. But it should draw us into its mystery and teach us that there's really nothing balanced about friendship, true friendship, because it is always, it is always sacrificial when it comes to Jesus. Just this side of Savannah in the community of Pooler, there is a United Methodist Church and its preacher, Matt Hearn, gathers those that are volunteers for keeping the Sunday morning um, institution of the church in place. Those greeters, those that will be helping with the sound system and the projection on the screen, and he gathers all of these people before him on Sunday morning, and he shares with them a sentence. He says, we get to do this. And they say back to him, we get to do this. And he says to them, we get to do this. And they say back to him, we get to do this. And it becomes this chant that echoes back and forth. And it sounds like just good team building, which it is. But in my mind, it is good theology. Very good theology. In fact, it is the theology that should drive anything that we do in church. And that is that our lives are in response to what God has done for us in Jesus. That God has given us his very heart. And he teaches us what it means to be a friend of God. Philip Yancey wrote a book which he entitled What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he tells the story about how he received a postcard from a friend of his. And on the postcard, there were just a few words. That's it. He read it. It simply said, I am the one Jesus loves. Which is sort of a cryptic message to send on a postcard. I am the one who Jesus loves. And so he picked up the phone and he called his friend and he said, okay, what's up? (laughs) And his friend said, well, it's not a quote from me. He said, that actually is a quote from Brennan Manning. I went to a retreat recently and he was a speaker there. Brennan Manning is recently deceased uh, some four years ago. Um, He is the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel. Some of you may remember having read that book. Uh, 
He was a transformed person by God's love, by his discovery of God's love for him. And Brennan Manning was reflecting on John, the evangelist who wrote this book, uh, telling the story of Jesus. And as he reflected on John, he was remembering that, of course, in the context of this telling of the story, there is this mentioning on a number of occasions about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember that? And so even though that person was not named in the Gospel of John, you and I know who that is. Come on, we know who that is. It's the one who's writing the book, right? It's John. The disciple whom Jesus loved is John. And he says that if John were asked the question, what is your primary identity in life? That John would not say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That John would not say, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That John would not say, I am an evangelist, a follower of Jesus. No, if John were asked the question, what is your primary identity in life? He would say, I am the one Jesus loves. (laughs) But do you hear in the midst of that, that there's no exclusivity with it? So we're sitting here today in this place, professing ourselves together around the thought of following Jesus. Followers of Jesus need to constantly be aware that it is not what we do that makes us Christians. (laughs) It is God's love for us that we cannot deny that fills us to overflowing. Do you sense it today? Do you know it? Do you know it deep in your heart that God loves you? That Jesus says, I don't want this master-servant relationship. I've come to be your friend. In fact, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. And then he goes and does that very thing. So we get to do this. We get to do this. We get to do this. (laughs) We get to do this. 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 And you get it, don't you? That this is, this is an unbelievable privilege that we have because Jesus has loved us with such depth 
even giving his life away in order to express his concept of friendship. If there is any balance as regards to friendship, it is to realize that we are loved by Jesus, who said, you did not choose me, I chose you. And to build our life around that very thought. It's fascinating to me that the Quakers have adopted this as their signature verse from all of Scripture. In fact, just as often as you hear this body of believers called Quaker, you will also hear them referred to as the Religious Society of Friends. It comes from this passage of Scripture. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. And so I ask you today, have you realized that Jesus loves you? What are you going to do about it?